Welcome to Uplink. The aviation dialogue starts here. I'm Shasta Ways. And I'm Michael Wiles. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Uplink Podcast, where today we're diving deep into the future of aviation with a focus on autonomous platforms, the intricacies of the Collaborative Combat Aircraft Program, and the strategic role of supply chains in shaping the next generation of air combat. Our guest, Robert Wesley, brings a wealth of knowledge and experience from the forefront of aerospace innovation and supply chain management. Robert's career has been marked by his leadership in supply chain execution, business strategy, and stakeholder engagement, particularly in global programs that meet critical customer needs. His recent work includes leading initiatives that are at the cutting edge of airspace technology and strategy. This includes his role in supporting the MQ-28, developing long-term strategies for autonomous systems, disruptive investment projects, improving supplier performance in the MQ-25, and driving a unified approach for small turbine engine across different segments of the aerospace industry. In today's episode, we'll explore the dynamic world of the CCA program and the concept of the loyal wingman, delving into how these innovations are reshaping combat strategies and what they mean for the future of both young and current professionals in the aerospace sector. We'll also touch on the critical role of supply chains in supporting these advanced technologies and ensuring their success on a global scale. As we navigate these topics, it is important to note that while Robert brings an insider's perspective from his extensive work with Boeing's defense, space, and security, his insights and opinions are informed by his own expertise and experience and do not reflect any official stance or affiliation. Welcome to Uplink. The aviation dialogue starts here. Robert Wesley, welcome to the Uplink Podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. You know, really happy to be here. Uh, so glad to, you know, be a guest on this show. You know, it's really great things that you guys are doing. Thank you for joining us and thank you for making the time. We really appreciate it. So, Rob, for those who maybe not be experts um, or know a lot about this topic, could you please explain what autonomous platforms and air combat are and how they might change how we think about flying in the next 10 years? Yeah, so really autonomous air platforms are aircraft which flies under the control of automatic systems and they didn't need no intervention from like a human pilot. Uh, so most of that autonomous aircraft are either like unmanned aircraft vehicles or it can be drones, uh, you know, all across those uh, spectrum. However, you know, most of the autonomous control systems are reaching a point where, you know, you start to think about air taxis and urban air mobility, anything associated with that where dreams are, you know, really being, you know, pushed to the forefront right now. And this is where I feel that autonomy plays a major piece in how urban air mobility is advancing, you know, think air taxis, drone package deliveries, autonomous, you know, logistics, facility maintenance, et cetera. I think all those are really in the forefront of our future. You know, really, we're really close to that being, you know, the way of our future right now. That's really exciting. I think um, as we follow, we've been following the news for the last couple of years, we saw a lot of uh, eVTOL companies come online. Um, and I think many of them said this was the year and maybe like next year would sort of be when we would see those things, um, come to fruition. So, um, it's really interesting to, to see the shift in the industry, which we haven't had for a long time. 
And I think the only thing really delaying us right now is like the government policies, FDA regulations, safety regulations, things like that to really get pushed out and approved uh, by all the governments. Could you give us an easy to understand overview of collaborative combat aircraft and why they're so important to defense programs? Yeah, collaborative combat aircraft are, are an amazing technology that the government is pushing out right now. And they really see that as like the wave of the future for the government. And CCAs, uh, which is the collaborative combat aircraft, are autonomous vehicles that can perform different missions ranging from carrying weapons and flying ahead of the aircraft to provide intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance and relay that valuable early warning and evade detection uh, to electronic warfare and striking targets either on their own or in accordance to like the, the rest of the force. So really combining and pairing with that, that fighter just to make you know, missions successful. And these CCAs were really comprised of a new breed of significantly less expensive and highly autonomous mission-focused unmanned collaborative combat aircraft to fly along, you know, what we see as the fifth generation and new human crewed fighter jets. Um, And really, you know, the main point of this is these are really extremely important to the government as technology is rapidly advancing the military. And as you've seen in the war, you know, countries are really advancing that technology to, you know, gain more power. And the ones that are really in more power are more, you know, advanced than the, the other countries. And these platforms are really vehicles that are shaping how future wars and intelligence will be conducted. You know, it's so interesting because we've had a guest on this show that talked about the civilian use of unmanned aircraft and urban mm-hmm. air mobility and VTOLs. So to get this perspective um, with Government military use is very interesting, and I'd love to know how do unmanned aircraft, or as you called it, CCAs, work alongside manned jets like the F-35 to enhance their capabilities in real combat situations? Yep, and this is where man and man teaming, which is a MUMT concept that is well known within the government, comes into play. So that that technology synchronizes employment of a soldier, man, unmanned, air, ground vehicles, robotics, sensors to achieve an enhanced situational understanding, uh, greater lethality, and improved survivability. Uh, but to explain MUMT generally um, as a standardized system architecture and communications protocol that enables live and still images gained from the sensor payloads of unmanned aer- aerial systems to be shared across a force. Uh, so that you have that connection and data link between the two unmanned and manned forces that, that are controlling the unmanned aircraft vehicle, uh, sharing that back and forth. And so when we talk about MUMT, that manned platform that connects to the unmanned aircraft vehicle, it has different levels of interoperability. So the levels of interoperability depends on how advanced that technology is. So, you know, to break it down, it's like, five levels right now that is currently known, uh, but is our future levels that are being explored. So level one being, you know, receipt of information of the unmanned platform to its ground control element. Level two being direct receipt of that information from an unmanned aircraft system to a manned helicopter or other manned remote vehicle. Uh, Three, level three being, you know, a manned platform directly controlling that payload of the unmanned aircraft system directly. Level four is where that man platform controls the airborne platform and the payload 
accepting the launch and recovery. And then level five is, you know, full uh, control of that unmanned aircraft vehicle, including the launch and recovery. And where the future is going is level X is where a lot of things are being developed. And then that refers to the evolving capability of a single man platform controlling multiple of these unmanned drones or platforms um, in conjunction with that. So this is kind of how I break it down, you know, CCAs and how they're shaping the the future wars of the country. Wow. So this is a, a really new paradigm that most people don't even think of. But at the, at the same time, you know, the military and companies are working on these advanced technologies. And I kind of see an, a similar thread going on right now, you know, in the AI space, you know, where the, com- the companies are talking about AI being a co-pilot to human work. And it seems mm-hmm. like this is the similar aspect of it where there are technologies that are being developed to support the roles that fighter pilots that would usually do. Is, is that what you kind of see? Yeah. So I think the advancing of AI and machine learning is really going to, you know, enhance that capabilities for these autonomous drones and vehicles as it moves forward, because, uh, that piece of it is going to be continuing learning, continually feeding back that data to the manned platforms or the ground uh, to really enhance what elements uh, the missions are able to accomplish. So, Rob, shifting gears a little bit um, in, in terms of talking about the impact on pilots in the aviation industry, um, I recently had uh, on another podcast a, a YouTube pilot come on and talk about just some of the the training and um just like everything that your body goes through when you are up in these high altitudes doing these missions. And as a pilot, I really felt for, for this person. And then on the other spectrum, I know, um, pilots, they're very much, um, excited about flying these machines. So it's like, you know, this balance of where does the future pilot flying these aircraft, like, where do they stand? Um, so with that, with the rise of these flying machines, uh, what changes can pilots expect in their jobs? And will this make flying safer or more complex for them? Um, in my opinion, I believe they will still be they will still maintain some level of job security for pilots as commercial flights will still be needed for those longer flight plans. You know, having their expertise is also extremely useful for maintaining that autonomous vehicle air traffic uh, with their extensive Uh, flight experience. Um, As far as safety, I think having autonomous vehicles flying at different layers of the flight communication will will be still good. Uh, My assumption is that commercial flights and the urban flight plans and areas will be at different airspaces, so it won't be any, you know, cross planes of, you know, autonomous air vehicle flying at the same altitude as, let's say, a commercial air flight. Uh, But I think you know, more complexity will be added to that air traffic controllers maintaining, you know, how those aircraft are taking off or coming from like airports or things like that, or how they're, you know, take off from various, you know, urban mobility stations. Uh, so that's kind of how I see that balance between, you know, pilots versus air, unmanned aircraft vehicles. Can I ask a follow-up question? Um, and you might not be an expert on this, but do you think the air traffic management system is ready for this? I think, uh, I'm not totally sure because I'm not I don't have the most knowledge about the aircraft air traffic controller system. But I think this is going to add an extreme level of complexity to their jobs as far as maintaining the amount of aircraft that will be in the air, Uh, because, you know, right now they they're slated to, you know, cover 
helicopters, commercial flights, things like that, you know, the bigger airplanes and, you know, the smaller, you know, one man uh, flights that that people have. But at the complexity of uh, various sizes of unmanned vehicles, along with, you know, various other things that are going on as far as like drone flights and package deliveries, that's going to be a ton of things to manage in the air uh, that, you know, they're going to have to either maintain or try to combine with other roles that will be created to help maintain that the airspace going forward. Yeah, I'm curious. So from a customer perspective, you know, particularly in commercial aviation, how do you think the uh, integration of these autonomous technologies could influence their flying experience in the future? And I think this will greatly enhance the customer commercial flight experience. I mean, for instance, look at how Uber, Lyft, and et cetera, those companies have impacted the driving market. You know, giving those customers more optionality to travel with their needs you know, a quicker response time are, are, is really paramount. Uh, you know, having those, you know, long trips, you know, two, three hour trips be done in minutes uh, will be great for them. But also, you, as you think of like not having to sit in heavy five o'clock traffic after work uh, to reduce that commuter headaches is also an, a complete bonus for the user, the end user, because, you know, you have that commercial urban mobility where you could just fly over somewhere in minutes versus it might take you an hour to, especially in this DC traffic. So you talked a little bit about this before, but considering your experience in global business strategy, how do you think countries worldwide will react to these autonomous flying technologies, especially in their military forces? And I think in my opinion, this would be especially welcome from a commercial flight standpoint to enhance that personal and family connectivity. I mean, we're, we're a global country. We have people spread out, you know, in your family across the various countries. Um, so, you know, we live in that global world where travel is a major piece of the connection between various countries. So having this technology platforms enhance that capability is only going to be welcome in my instance. Uh, from a military aspect, I think this may be turned into a race of who can advance the technology the fastest. Uh, I do see synergies being realized amongst allied countries because they might align on communication channels or other ways to share information, uh, data that's collected from those autonomous platforms. Uh, so that's kind of how I see, you know, both from a commercial standpoint, but also in the military aspect of it. And it seems like there's a big need for these things today with all the disruption going on around the world. So uh, I think it's also interesting to see how this uh, market will develop. So, yeah, I, I mean, I see it also in instances of, you know, sea exploration where, you know, autonomous sea vehicles where you're exploring beneath the ocean where to depths that we're actually aren't able to explore right now, but also space exploration where you're seeing more, you know, unmanned vehicles in Mars or other you know, potentially habitable planets to explore what their habitats and, you know, what is going on on the planet that we're not able to do right now. So that's kind of how I see some other uses for autonomous platforms. In our research about, you know, this entire topic, we continually came across the term loyal wingman. Rob, can you break down what a loyal wingman means in the military and how these drones change how you know, wars might be uh, fought. Yes, the Loyal Wingman is the proposed type of unmanned combat aircraft vehicle, which incorporates artificial intelligence and is also capable of collaborating with next generation manned uh, combat aircraft, including the sixth generation fighters and bombers that I mentioned before. So it's kind of 
having that teaming aspect of a man and an unmanned vehicle being paired together to accomplish the mission. And these drone women could fill a number of various roles uh, for the government. So, you know, they could either broaden the, the mother's aircraft situational awareness by flying ahead with infrared, electromagnetic, radar, and, or virtual sensors. Uh, this could also improve the human pilot's situational awareness to map out targets or even identify a location of radars and air defense systems that provide a clear corridor to, for that manned vehicle. Um, and this could also serve as a communication nodes for friendly forces or conduct uh, electronic warfare operations by jamming enemy radars or uh, communications or to other signals. And if they're large enough to carry their own arraignments, they could carry their own air-to-air or air-to-ground strikes alongside the main aircraft to, you know, give that enemy multiple threats a counter. Uh, but even without Umber weapons, a drone swarm could serve as a decoy to befuddle the enemy. So, you know, sending out that false signal to make it think that, you know, this is a difficult adversary to differentiate between a man and unmanned vehicle. I'm curious to know... Um... For young professionals interested in aerospace and defense, even some of the other uh, categories that you mentioned, like marine and space uh, operations, what advice would you give to these young professionals to prepare them for a career in this rapidly evolving field? Yeah, so I I always say a good skill set to have is beyond developing a solid knowledge base of the the actual core competency or the field that you want to be in is the willingness to learn. Uh, With this type of technology continuously advancing, Professionals looking to break into the field must also have that same drive to push the boundaries of what is possible. Uh, in addition to learning, having that ability to collaborate and team with other industry experts and colleagues will be key in advancing the industry. So many times in my career, I, I've utilized teaming and personal skills learned throughout my time playing D1 college soccer. You know, having that ability to work with others it will help anyone tremendously in that aerospace and defense industry. So, uh, you know, I think really having that teaming and ability to learn is going to be paramount for professionals moving forward. Rob, we know this is all great, but once it's deployed, we now have the supply chain to deal with. And we know you have a background in supply chain and project management. And so we kind of wanted to tap into that as well. So to, to anchor this last part of this conversation, how important is the supply chain in making and maintaining these high-tech flying machines? Can you break down why it's so crucial once these uh, platforms start to come online? Yeah, and I think supply chain is a cornerstone to the new autonomous technology program success. And this might be some of my bias given my background in supply chain. Uh, But supply chain touches so many important aspects of new technology development from supplier identification, design enhancements, supplier deliveries, and then aftermarket sustainment and maintenance piece of it that not many realize and talk about as much. But let's consider the full project lifecycle from, you know, the initiation, project planning, project execution, project monitoring and control and project closure. Without supply chain input in each of those elements, the project really wouldn't be a success because you have to maintain costs to make it profitable for the customer, company and also in users. So I think supply chain touches so many pieces of that puzzle that I think that's going to be a major player going forward for all these technology programs. Absolutely. Um, I know one of the hottest topics in aviation and aerospace right now is sustainability. And I'd love to hear from your perspective, what is the biggest challenges in creating a supply chain for environmentally friendly products 
in this sector? And have you identified any unique opportunities in all of this? Yeah, I think, you know, I, I look at challenges. I, I look at four key main challenges that I see in this market. You know, identifying really good suppliers is always hard. And as the, the landscape is ever evolving, expanding the supply base to include more local and international suppliers. I mean, we've seen from the COVID standpoint how that affects the supply chain. Uh, so, like I said, reflecting on the COVID challenges, not having alternative sources identified and already on board to deliver those materials is going to be really key. And in, in the aerospace industry, some suppliers are the only ones that are able to manufacture some materials. So the need to develop alternative other sources in the event of natural disasters. So you, we saw a lot of like the hurricanes or the earthquakes or tsunamis in the, the Asia region where you know, the suppliers out of pocket for X amount of days or months, and then that completely disrupts the supply chain. So having that, navigating those challenges is going to be really key for the the market. Uh, one unique opportunity, I, I thought that um, we're still working to see how it's going to develop and uh, influence the market is how blockchain technology can be implemented for the supply base, supply chain use. And really, blockchain technology is an advancement database mechanism that allows transparent information sharing within a business network. And that blockchain database stores data in blocks where it can be linked together in a chain. So that's I see that really being useful, you know, linking contracts, supply chain, all those other uh, you know various functions to create that supply chain ecosystem that might be uh, the wave of the future. Do you think that's what's needed for the large international projects for them to succeed? Because while, you know, as you said, with COVID, a lot of, um, especially U.S.-based companies have been shifting their supply chain closer to home, it's still impossible for some companies to um, leave some of their international supply chain partners. So I know you just mentioned blockchain right now. What are some other key things uh, that we need to ensure for these uh, supply chain projects to succeed? Yeah, having a good program team is going to be really key for program execution success and also program overall success. You know, my five-step program management philosophy that I've developed over my 13-year, 13 professional career uh, to really drive team success has been, you know, one being engaged, you know, gaining that leadership buy-in for program budget funding, et cetera, recruit to uh, being identifying the right functional disciplines to support the program team. You know, three being outlined, how do we define a program mission statement and those key objectives? Uh, four being execute, driving program work and tracking the key, key performance indicators or metrics. And then finally, five being out brief, providing updates on the program results to leadership and customers. So, you know, I think that having your own management principle is going to be key. But, you know, this this is a management principle that in philosophy that I've utilized for my own program team success over the over my career. Rob, you've shared so much information with us, and I know you're like a. just a book of so much knowledge. Um, and it's, this is a bit of a personal question, but what are you most excited about with uh, the line of work that you're doing? I think I, I'm most excited about, you know, the advancements in the space realm and then what can be what can be done outer space. Uh, I think, you know, as we look forward to habitable planets outside of Earth, I think that's just going to be key, uh, having those autonomous platforms being utilized to try to 
advance that uh, that narrative for you know the government and the world. Um, I think that's kind of what I'm most mo- most excited about right now. So you know the space element of autonomous vehicles. For sure, it is really exciting. And um, I know you shared advice earlier for young professionals who might be interested in the field. Are there any advice that you could share for? people who are currently in the field who are trying to navigate their next career move. You know, like we're seeing a paradigm shift in the industry or in this sector of the industry. And there is exciting work for people from all um, other sectors in the industry to um, tap into. So is there any advice that you could give to someone who might be saying, hey, Rob, it looks like you're working on some really cool stuff? Yeah, absolutely. I think the biggest piece of advice I can give is to network. And this might sound redundant, you know, because some people have said it a lot, uh, but it's the single most important skill to master as you navigate your career path. You know, one bonus piece of advice I would give is, also, you know, fail fast and fail often. You know, this allows you to gain as much experience as you can as quick as possible, while also aiding in your continuously learning element uh, that I talked about earlier. Uh, the faster you fail, the quicker you can learn how to be better at something or learn what you don't like about uh, the industry. I really love that advice. Um, the failure, I feel like as a society, we just need to change our the way we view it um, because there's so many benefits, like so many people have succeeded because of failure. And it's something that's not a waste of time or a missed opportunity. It's just a opportunity. It's a chance to come back stronger and with more insights and knowledge. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you know, my career path, I've filled off and, and, you know, I'm here where I'm at right now. And then, and, you know, as others are failing, I, I, I love what you say. It's like you try to, you know, gauge that, you know, redefine how we actually look at failure because it could provide so many insights for people to advance their career path because they have failed and they know what to do next. Well, Rob, thank you so much for your time. It's been such a pleasure um, and you've brought so much value to this topic. Thank you again and thank you for all the work that you're doing in our industry. Yeah, thanks so much. I really appreciate the time today. You know, thanks, Mike, and thanks, uh, Shista. So yeah, I really appreciate the time, you know, collaborating on this episode. And I think it will be really impactful for, you know, your podcast going forward. And if people need to reach out to me, please, you know, feel free to you know, reach out to my LinkedIn or anywhere else that, you know, you feel it'll be good. Thanks for joining us, Rob. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Before we move on, we've got just a couple of important housekeeping notes for all of our listeners out there. The first is join Uplink Link Up community. Here's one benefit of joining. If you're looking to dive deeper into the world of aviation and join the conversation, we'd love for you to be a part of our Uplink Link Up community. It's a great space where enthusiasts like you can discuss, debate, and share insights about everything aviation. Joining is super easy. Just head over to our website or check out the show notes for the link in our Uplink LinkUp WhatsApp group. We have a general group for aviation discussions, and we have a special Uplink LinkUp DC Metro group for our listeners in the DC area. Being part of Uplink LinkUp means you get to interact directly with us and other aviation enthusiasts. It's a fantastic way to get your questions answered, share your opinions, and even influence future podcast topics. 
So don't miss out on being part of the Uplink LinkUp community. Join today and take your love for aviation to new heights. We can't wait to interact with you all. Again, thank you for joining us and we can't wait to see you next week.